Today, the, the title of the message is Influencing the Culture Around You. Did you know that God has a plan to see your coworkers, your neighbors, and your family come to know him? You know he's got a plan for that? Did you know the plan is you? We are God's plan. If you look back at the way God designed this whole gospel thing, he gave it to his people and said, you're the plan. You're the ones that are supposed to go out and live on mission. You're the ones that are supposed to influence those around you. See, there's a culture around each and every one of us. There's a larger culture. We live in America. And sometimes when we think about culture, we think about this Western culture or this very kind of broad, uh, big idea. But I want you to know that every area of your life has a culture. Your neighborhood has a culture. Your workplace has a culture. The uh, kids' soccer team that, that your kid's a part of, the parent group, there's a culture there. And today we're going to look at the life of Daniel and we're going to talk about kind of four key ways that we can influence the culture right around us. Just four key things. So if you have a, your Bibles, you can open them up, Daniel chapter 1. We'll get there uh, in a little bit, but if you don't have a Bible and you just use your phone, that's the same thing. Just open your phone to Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to talk about how Daniel influenced the culture around him, even though the culture that he was placed in was nothing like his homeland. It was nothing like the way he was brought up, the way that he was taught uh, to live. This past week, we were uh, over Memorial Day weekend, we were at the beach uh, on family vacation with a bunch of other like larger family, uh, extended family members and stuff. And, and it was wonderful. Brooke and the boys stayed down there. But our daughter, she has a job this summer. So she stayed here back in Trustville with a friend. So then I came back early because I had to go back to work. So I came back early so that uh, she could come home. And then my wife and the boys, they stayed down at the beach. So I had a few nights alone. Uh, my daughter was working. My uh, you know, wife and boys were gone. So I was like, well, I'm going to do some things around the house to, to, to feel productive. And I began to think, and uh, you know, typically what my mind goes to is what can I do to save money? That's like, what are things I can do to save money and help out? And I thought, I know what I can do. I can change the oil in the cars. You know, like we usually take them somewhere, but I've done this before. It's been a long time, but I can do it. I was like, I'll change the oil uh, in the truck. And if I mess it up, the truck's old and, you know, it is what it is. But I don't think I'm going to mess it up. So I go to the store and I get the oil and I look online because I never changed the oil in, in this truck particularly. So I go online and I watch a YouTube video on how to, you know, a specific YouTube video for this truck so that I know how to change the oil in this car. Watch the YouTube video probably two or three times, feeling confident go to the store. And as I get all the stuff that I need, I go to check out. And the guy at the checkout goes, do you want me to double check? This is the right oil. And I was like, no, no, I looked it up, man. Like I watched video. I'm good to go. He's like, okay, cool. You know? And so I, I get home, I get the truck positioned in the garage. I get everything ready. I drain all the oil out of the truck. My daughter's at work. My wife's gone. It's just me there. The oil is drained out of the truck. I go ahead and I put it in its, the, the oil disposal container and everything. And then I go watch the YouTube video one more time to make sure I put in the right amount. Because you don't want to put in too little or too much oil. Bad things happen. So I go and watch the video. And as I'm watching, I look at the number that's listed on the oil that the guy's pouring in. And I look at the oil I bought. And it's not the same thing. I'm like, oh, shoot. Uh... I don't have the right oil and all the oil is out of the truck and I'm home alone. 
Like, what am I supposed to do? At this point, I'm like, okay, well, I can wait a few hours, uh, but then the family will have to know what's going on. And actually, by the time Maddie gets off, the, the, uh, the, the, the place will be closed. So, all right, here we go. Manning up. Grabbed a backpack, got my bike, and I rode all the way to the auto store. Yes. And then I put six quarts of oil in my backpack, and then I rode all the way home. It was awesome. It was wonderful. But there was this moment when I'm looking on the internet and I'm watching these videos and I see the oil I have is the wrong oil. And I think, is it really that big of a deal? Like put in the wrong oil. Is it that big of a deal? So I search, is it that big of a deal? Like, can I put this type of oil that I bought in the truck? And I'm reading some of the, you know, message threads and stuff. And I'm just waiting for someone to say it's not a big deal. Like, I'm just waiting for someone to be like, oh, yeah, no problem. And so finally I found someone. He's like, oh, yeah, it's no, like, it's your car. You can do whatever you want. You can drive it without oil. If you want to completely mess up your car forever, it's your prerogative. I was like, oh, I should probably just go get the right oil. But there was this, there was this moment where I thought, I can either do things the easy way or the right way. How many times are we faced with that decision on a weekly basis? I can either do things the easy way or I can do things the right way. When we look at scripture and we look at the way that Jesus has called us to live, it's the right way, but often it's not the easy way. So we have to uh, just align ourselves to to, to scripture and say, you know what? I'm going to do things the right way, not the easy way. Now, I view this as a mark of maturity in my own life because 10 years ago, I just would have put the other oil in and been like, whatever. And I messed up a car once. And so I learned from that mistake uh, and won't do that anymore. But today we're going to look at how do we influence the culture around us? And a lot of it has to do with choosing the right way and not the easy way. When everyone else uh, in the work group is going out and they're doing things or they're talking in a certain way, you say, I'm not going to do things the easy way and just participate. I'm going to do things the right way. When the boss leaves the meeting or leaves the room and then everyone begins to talk about the boss and that, you know, the tone that we take when they talk about bosses and that they don't. And some of you are the boss. You're like, they don't do that. They love me. Just watch a few episodes of The Office. You'll get the idea. Uh, You know, and like, am I going to participate or am I going to influence the culture in a positive way? You know, if we look around us in the culture that we live in, I think we can easily see not only that scripture and culture don't line up, but I think we can easily see that what is quote unquote normal isn't really working. If we look around us and what normal is, it's just, it's not working. We think like, I want to be normal. I want to fit in. Well, normal isn't working because normal is being constantly overwhelmed. Normal is being rushed, stressed, anxious, depressed, broke, in debt, having relational tension everywhere we turn. That's what's normal. What is normal is living without direction, just working for a paycheck in a job that maybe you don't even like, experiencing guilt, shame, regret. Those are all what is normal. And now more than ever, because of social media, we can look and see how normal these things really are. People talk about it all the time, but this, this is what normal is, but normal's not working. I just want to give you a couple things to think about. If you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. If you want what very few people have, you got to do what those very few people do. When we look at culture, normal's not working, and God has called us to live differently. And the way that we live shouldn't just be in contrast to our culture, but it should be a way, in a way that influences the culture around us. 
you know, the value systems and normal modes of operation we see in our country and in our culture are in stark contrast to the values and rhythms of Jesus. The way we're supposed to live our lives with Jesus. In the life of Daniel, as we're going to see, Daniel was taken out of Israel, his homeland, and he was exiled to a different country, and he was living as a foreigner in the land. When we look at the way Jesus has called us to live, sometimes we can, if we're living this way, we can feel like foreigners in our own land because it's, the way that he's called us to live is very different. But we're going to see here that Daniel finds himself in this very difficult position, but he doesn't complain. He doesn't whine. He doesn't throw his hands up and say, why is it like this? He doesn't throw a hissy fit. But also Daniel, he doesn't run from the culture either. He doesn't run and hide. You know, one of the responses the church has had whenever we look at culture and then look at the way Jesus has called us to live is to create these holy huddles, like these little small groups of Christians. And it's like, it's us four and no more. And we're going to do this. And we're not going to let anybody else in. And we're just going to, we're going to run from that. And we're going to hide from it. But that's not how Jesus has called us to live. The mission of Jesus has always been to see more and more people come to know him, more and more people experience a new life in him. So living in a holy huddle stands in contrast to your God-given purpose. Another response a lot of Jesus followers have when we see how different culture is from the life Jesus has called us to live is is to live a double life. We have like our our, our church life, our Christian life, and then we have our life in the quote-unquote real world. So we live two different ways. We live one way. We talk one way. We act one way when we're around church people or our family that are Christians. And then we act a completely different way when we're out in the world. That's not the way Jesus has called us to live either. We're going to look at the life of Daniel and see that Daniel lived in the culture, influenced the culture, didn't compromise his values, continued to live righteously in the midst of the culture, but he didn't hide from it or run from it either. Because you can't influence something that you're running away from. You can only influence something that you are intimately a part of. So Daniel becomes a part of this culture. So we're going to read quite a bit of Daniel chapter 1 today. Every time that uh, I speak and have quite a bit of scripture, I always think like, is that too much of the Bible to read on a Sunday morning? Literally, this is what enters into, you know, pastor's heads. Are people going to give up? Listen, there's not too much Bible to read, okay? So if you start drifting off, it's your problem, not mine. Here we go. Daniel chapter 1. Verse 3, all right, this is first couple verses. King Nebuchadnezzar, greatest name in the Bible, uh, one of the greatest names. That one in Methuselah. I tried to name one of our kids Methuselah. Brooke wouldn't have it. But King Nebuchadnezzar goes and conquers Jerusalem, conquers Judah. They bring, uh, you know, they've exiled some people into Babylon. And look at verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family, and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Look at verse 4. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. I think all of us would like to be considered strong, healthy, and good-looking. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, they're gifted with knowledge and good judgment, are suited to serve in the royal palace. Listen to this, all right? Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. We're going to come back to this, but this is a key thing to understand. Train them in the language and literature of Babylon. What we could say here is train them in the culture of Babylon. All right? Verse 5. 
The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years. Then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. So if you look at your culture around you and you think the way that God's called me to live is different, at least no one's given you a new name. They said, you know what? We're going to take you from your homeland and we're going to rename you something else. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. Now, you might recognize the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the story you heard as a child of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Same guys, all right? Verse 8, but Daniel, verse 8, this is kind of the crux of what we're going to talk about today. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Now, it's important to understand that uh, the Israelite people were giving very clear instructions from God on what they were supposed to eat, what they were supposed to drink, how they were supposed to prepare it, and all that stuff. So Daniel and his friends are living in a, in a foreign land, and they're going to be given the food and wine from the king. And let me tell you, the king eats the best food and, and drinks the best wine, right? So they're basically, they're like, the king says, hey, give them all the best stuff. But Daniel says, well, the way that food is prepared, it's been sacrificed to idols. It's against what God has told us to do. It's, it's, it's in contrast to the way he's told us to eat and live. That wine, it might be delicious, it might be wonderful, but that's not the kind of way that we're supposed to, we're supposed to live and we're supposed to operate and God has called us to. So he determined to not defile himself. Then listen to this. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Remember that too. We're going to come back to that. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these foods. Verse 9. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But the chief of staff responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. He says, listen, I can't let you go vegan. I can't do it. The king will get mad. Daniel spoke with the attendant. Somebody, I heard somebody say amen, all right? Uh, Daniel spoke with the attendant. You might not like the rest of the story if you amen that, but Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after these four guys. Verse 12, please test us, Daniel says. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Just let us go vegan. Daniel said, at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then you make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Now, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and he's, his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. The vegans looked better in this particular thing. I went vegan for a while. I wouldn't suggest it unless you have to, but uh, it was interesting. After that, listen, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine that had been provided for the others. Now, have you, have you heard of the Daniel fast? You guys heard of this, right? I mean, a lot of people do the Daniel fast. What they do is they do 10 days of vegetable and water, and that's the Daniel fast. But listen, he says, then after that, he fed them only vegetables 
And they were trained for three years. The Daniel fast is three years long, people. Just take that for what it is. Yeah. See, the thing is, is Daniel and his friends, they made a decision. We're in another country. We're being trained in the culture, the language, and literature literature of this place. But we're not going to defile ourselves. We're going to honor God. And not only are we going to honor God, but we're going to honor the people around us. And so what happens is we read right here is that God says, since you honored me and you honored those around you, I'm going to honor you. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Verse 20, whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Now, I firmly believe that Christians and followers of Jesus should be the absolute best workers in the workforce. When we honor God, he's going to honor us. And we see here that God honors them by giving them special aptitudes, special abilities He gives them uh, influence with not just those around them, not just the the chief of staff, but direct influence with the king who had the the influence over the entire nation. And as we read the rest of the book of Daniel, you'll, you'll see that Daniel uses this influence for some massive, massive good. He remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So we're going to look at just four quick ways that Daniel influenced culture and how we can apply them to our lives. Number one, Daniel influenced culture by learning the language. He influenced culture by learning the language, by learning the language and literature of Babylon. See, every area of your life, every sphere of influence that you have, whether it be work, neighborhood, kids' sports, school, whatever stage of life you're in, every single one of us, we have spheres that we can influence. In every one of those areas of influence, they all have their own culture. They all have their own ways of communicating, their own ways of talking. Sometimes they even have their own language, you know, especially if you work in uh, first responder or military. Like, there's literally their own language, all the acronyms and stuff. But sometimes they, we're saying learning the language, I'm talking about learning the, the cultural way of communicating. The neighborhoods that you're in have a way of communicating, have a way of living. They have a culture around them. Your workplaces, they have a culture. And the first thing that we need to understand if we're going to influence those cultures is we have to learn to speak the language they're speaking. We have to learn how they communicate, learn how they operate. This is what Daniel does. They were trained in the language of Babylon, and Daniel learns how this community, how this culture communicates. You know, there's two men... uh, that joined the same company at the same time. And, and I watched the whole thing unfold. Uh, they were both hired on the same day, and they started the same day a few years back. And you could tell very quickly that both of them had different ways of kind of integrating into the culture, and integrating into, uh, you know, that team, that, that, uh, that organization. One of them, when he showed up, 
he had just an, he just didn't talk much, and he just said, I'm going to listen, and, and I'm going to learn. And people would ask him his opinion, he, and he would say, like, I, I'm really just learning and trying to learn how everything works, learn the history, learn the context of why we do things the way we're doing them, so before I can kind of really feel like I can speak into it. The other person came, and on day one, they could tell that, you know, they had a lot of vast experience in other places, and they began to tell everyone how we should be doing everything how the company should be doing, how what they did other places was better and that how we're doing it is wrong, but they didn't try to understand anything about the history or the context of this organization. And you could see as the months roll by, the influence of the one who came in with humility, with a, an open heart, open mind to learn how that person's influence began to grow and grow and grow because he used his past experience to bring forth some healthy change once he understood the organizational culture. But it went, it months went by before he made any key suggestions. And you could see the other uh, gentleman's influence begin to dwindle just more and more and more and more and more over time. And about eight months into it, there were just a meeting was like, I don't think you're working out. And he didn't last longer than eight months because he took this approach of, well, I know what's right and I'm going to tell everyone else. And the other gentleman just took the approach of, I'm going to learn the language of the culture, learn the context of why things are being done the way they're being done. And then that gentleman spent years there making massive sweeping changes because he learned the language and learned how to speak. See, Daniel learned the language of the culture. And by learning the language of the culture, he was able to influence the culture. So many times as believers, we look at culture and we think, I'm just going to hide from it. I'm going to run away from it. I'm going to get in this holy huddle. When Jesus has said, no, no, I've called you to be a missionary to that culture, to those people. And the first thing, we got to go and learn the language. Learn how people communicate. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. And if you think it's just an Old Testament idea, there's this verse. I, I mean, I've read it hundreds of times over the years. And there was a long time that I just didn't really understand it. And it almost like grated on me a little bit. I was like, I don't, why would Jesus even say that? Jesus says in Matthew 10, 16, be wise as serpents. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. Like the snake in the garden, that was the devil? Like that one? But then he follows it up. Be innocent or be harmless or be gentle, depending on which translation Although the, the original Greek there uh, has kind of different uh, meanings for us, but be innocent, harmless, or as gentle as a dove. What Jesus is saying is, be wise as a serpent. See, serpents, they don't come out and announce their presence, you know? They slither around just waiting to be killed. I hate snakes, you know? Uh, but Jesus says, look, be wise as serpents who can get into places that other people can't get into, and then when you're there, be as gentle, as harmless, as innocent as a dove. How do we influence the culture around us? We learn the language. We, we take the words of Jesus to heart. And we say, I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be watchful. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to learn, and then I'm going to wait for the opportunity. And when the opportunity comes, I'm going to show myself as gentle, as harmless, as innocent as a dove. Number two. Daniel influenced culture by learning the language, but also by honoring those around him. We read it in a moment ago in verse 8. Daniel was determined not to defile himself. But then I want you to catch this next part. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. 
He asked for permission. See, Daniel honored the leader. He honored the king. And he honored those around him. He said, the way they want me to, to eat, the way they want me to live, the things they want me to do, it is not in line with the way that, that God wants me to live. So I'm going to humbly ask for permission to do things a little differently. He honored the chief of staff. He didn't go and tell the chief of staff, no, 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 I'm not doing this. We're not doing this. God told us not to live this way. We're not going to eat this food. So you can just kill us or throw us out. We're just not doing it. He said, can we just, how about just vegetables and water? And then the chief of staff goes, I'm afraid of the king. I'm afraid. If I, if I just let you do this and then you end up being pale and you, know, and you end up being thinner than everyone else and, and the king's going to get mad at me. And, and then Daniel goes, just, just test us. Let's, ju- let's just see. What he's doing is he's honoring the leader. He's not saying, no, we're going to do this. He's honoring those around him. He's honoring the system. He asks for permission. He doesn't demand it. He asks it. See, here's the thing. People always respond better to heartfelt, honest questions than demands. People always respond better to heartfelt questions than demands. You know, I think of it like with children. It's kind of a mark of maturity when children begin to ask, because what happens when children are toddlers? Gimme, 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 mine, 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 right? Then we say, no, no, you have to ask. You can't have your CB cup. It's mine. Give it to me. You know, if a 10-year-old was doing that, there'd be some major, major problems. What's the 10-year-old doing? Going and getting water on his own. Don't even ask me for it. Get your own water. Heartfelt questions are a sign of maturity, a sign of restraint. People respond better to questions than demands. And after... Daniel asks the questions. He, he offers proof. He says, just, let's just test this. There's so much wisdom in this. If you're trying to get a, a new way of working, maybe a more efficient way of doing something at work, in your workplace, just say, I think I have an idea. And just, just, let's just test it for a little while. Let's see what happens. I'm telling you, bosses respond so much better to that than I know what we should do and we need to start doing it right now. The chief of staff is like, I don't know. And Daniel goes, well, can we just do this? Let's just test it and see what happens. There's so much wisdom in this. If we want to influence the culture, we have to honor those around us, speaking their language, learning the way they work, but then honoring them, honoring their history, honoring where they've come from, honoring where they are so that we can positively impact them for the kingdom of God. And then this is the one, the last little bit of this uh, honoring the leader that I find just so so interesting because we don't know if it would have gone the other way. But Daniel allows the chief of staff to make the decision. He says, test us for 10 days and then you decide. After 10 days, you decide. Man, talk about trusting that God's going to show up. You decide. It works out in his favor, but we do find out later in Daniel, it didn't work out the same way for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? There was an an idol, and King Nebuchadnezzar said, said, everyone's going to bow down to the idol. And they said, sorry, we're not going to do that. God told us not to bow down to idols. We're not going to do it. They stood up, and then Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the fiery furnace. They're like, you can make the decision whether to kill us or not. He's like, great, you're dead, and throws them into the furnace. 
And then God honors them and keeps them alive in the furnace. And they come out. And then their influence begins to grow because Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is the only true God. But I just find it interesting that Daniel, he so, so uh, diligently wants to honor the leadership and the authority that he says, you can even make the decision. Number three, Daniel influences culture by learning the language, by honoring those around him, but also he does it without compromising his values. Daniel didn't compromise his values. He didn't look around and give in to the peer pressure around him. He chose to live righteously in the midst of a culture that was living as far away from biblical living as you could be. Sometimes we look around and we think, oh, right, well, the way we live in it's the way the culture around us and the world, it's the worst it's ever been. No, it's not. Just read some history books. It's been pretty terrible over the years, over history as well. Doesn't mean it's not worse than maybe 10 or 15 years ago or whatever, but it's not the worst it's ever been. Pretty sure, like, you know, the Jews during World War II would argue with you that it was probably worse for them then than it is for us today. little perspective on that. It has nothing to do with today's talk. Let's move on. Here's the thing. You can be known as the one in your neighborhood, your company, in your family, whatever. You can be known as the one who has integrity. You can be known as the one who is humble, who is honest, who is kind, who is loving, and God will honor you for doing that. You can live in the culture, influence the culture without compromising your values, and God will honor you. Now, in this story with Daniel, we see that the chief of staff and the king end up honoring these four men. But we also see in contrast to that, the, the king didn't honor them standing up for their values when he threw them in the furnace. But God honored them both times. So whether the leadership or whether the co-workers or the, the, the neighbors or the family members honor you, if we, are, if we are living righteously, God's going to honor us. If you stay true to your kingdom of God values, God will honor you. And this really, it boils down to number four. Daniel influenced the culture by trusting God with the outcome. It really boils down to trust. It's a trust thing. Daniel trusted God. He trusted that if he honored God with his life, God would honor him. The question is, do I trust that God will take care of me if I tell the truth? Do I trust that God will take care of me if I operate with integrity and honesty when my neighbors, coworkers, or family doesn't? Do I believe that God's way is better? And do I trust him to honor me even if those around me don't honor me? Do I trust God? See, God honored Daniel. And then he increased their abilities. He increased their abilities. He said, I'm going to give you so much wisdom and insight that you're going to be 10 times better than all the other people. I want us to notice something key here. Daniel, Hananiah, Asherah, and uh, Azariah, and Mishael, Shadang, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in a very difficult situation. They're living away from their family in a foreign land with different values. And then they've honored God. They've honored him, and God honors them back. But I want us to notice, God doesn't remove them from the difficult situation. 
He didn't honor them by taking them out of Babylon. He didn't honor them by removing them. He honored them by giving them an even greater ability to influence the difficult situation they were in. Maybe you're in a job that you're just not happy in. Maybe you're in a neighborhood that's just bothering you. Maybe your child's on that team you're just not excited about. They got that coach or those other parents or whatever. Maybe, just, just, just maybe consider God has you exactly where he wants you so that you can be a positive agent of change in a difficult situation. So you can influence those around you with your kindness, your, hum- your humility, your honor, and your love. See, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus loved people. Jesus loved people. Do we love those around us in the cultures that we're in the way Jesus loved us? Do we? You know, I'm not old or anything, but I'm getting older. And as I get older, I can see my own heart becoming a little bit more hardened towards stupid people. (laughs) When I say stupid people, I don't mean unintelligent. I just mean people that do things that I don't like. Because that's when we say, like, that person's stupid. Like, maybe they're not very intelligent, but most likely they're just doing something you didn't want them to do. And I can see myself, my heart just getting a little bit, I'm just being honest, getting a little bit crusty towards some of these people. Just like, yeah, I know Jesus loves them, but do I have to? Like, if I view my life as all about me, if I think of my life's purpose about me getting mine, and doing what I need to do to get ahead for what I want, then yeah, I'll avoid all the people that do dumb things that I don't like. But if I view my life as someone who's been called, who's been commissioned by his Messiah to go out and influence people, then I can begin to view the people who would otherwise annoy, frustrate, anger as people I can influence. And I will tell you, there's been times in my life where I've done this really well. Like, done it well. And there's been so many times where I didn't. But I could name a few very specific occasions where someone that, like, would have frustrated or annoyed me or whatever that I would have written off. But I said, you know what? I'm going to make it a mission to be nice, to influence and love on this person. And then that person turned around, become one of my best friends over the years. It's happened more times than I can count. And it's really weird. Jesus has called us to love people. If we see ourselves as as agents of change, as agents of positive influence to those around us, if we live with a purpose to influence people for the kingdom of God, it can bring joy and fulfillment out of an otherwise very difficult situation. Daniel doesn't whine and complain. He's like, I can't change it. I'm here in Babylon, so I'm going to influence it for God. 
If we look at that job, that neighborhood, whatever it is, you say, like, I can't move. Interest rates are crazy. I can view this as an opportunity because maybe God's put me here to do some good, to influence this in a positive way. See, I'm praying that each of one of us here at Gateway, myself included, I'm praying that God would give us a renewed vision for how to be positive agents of change in our spheres of influence. Now, sometimes we spend way too much time and energy thinking about a bunch of things we have no influence with that we can't influence. Instead of spending our time and energy with those and around those that we can influence. I'm praying that God gives us a boldness to live this way, to learn the language of the culture, to honor those around us, to not compromise our values and then trust God with the outcome. Would you stand with me this morning? This morning, we're going to end a little differently. Uh, I'm just going to stand. We're all going to stand together. I'm going to pray a prayer over us, kind of a commissioning prayer, because sometimes I think when we look at the church, we think of it as a, it's a place we go to, and then we leave and we go home to our regular lives, when really we should be viewing every time we walk out those doors as we're walking out of the presence of God here, and then we're bringing the presence of God into the mission field. So we're going to pray for that this morning, but before we do that, uh, if we're going to have some prayer partners up here at the front. If you need prayer for anything in your life whatsoever, they're here to pray with you. Uh, when I say amen, we're going to be dismissed, but our prayer partners are going to come up front, and then we're going to have some music playing, and you can come up and get prayer. So if you need prayer, that's here for you. But right now, before we go, if you would just close your eyes with me, and we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that each and every one of us in this room right now would just begin to recognize that you have called us to be missionaries to the mission field of Trustville, Birmingham, Clay, Penson, Springville, Odenville, Moody, or wherever else we live and work in this area. That you've called us to reach these people, to influence people for your kingdom. God, I pray that each one of us would have a renewed passion and a renewed vision for our neighbors and our coworkers to come to know you that you would show us ways we can influence others with our love, with our humility, and with our kindness. You would show us how to honor those around us. God, I pray that you'd give us specific insight into the language of the cultures that we are in, the ways of communicating, the ways of operation, so that we can influence those. God, I pray that each and every one of us would trust you with the outcome. And this morning, God, we say we're here And we thank you for sending us out on your mission because there's no greater purpose in life than to be on mission for you. In Jesus' name.